Our reading today comes from Luke 18, verses 1 to 17. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones, who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. People were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked him. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. The astute among you would have recognised that that reading that Lydia brought to us makes no mention of mothers at all. No, not even in that little passage about people bringing children to Jesus. Mothers don't get a look in. They must have been there, of course. I can't think that it was just dads, aunts, uncles, brothers and sisters bringing the babies to Jesus. Surely there must have been at least some mothers amongst that crowd. In fact, if dads had been present, I'll bet the disciples would have shown a bit more respect to the people bringing children to Jesus. Wouldn't just have sent them away. Go away, he's got no time for you. Push off. He's far too busy for you. If some more men had been there, I reckon the disciples would have thought twice before they did that. Yeah, surely there was a good number of mothers amongst that crowd bringing people to Jesus. But they're not mentioned. Luke just says they were bringing children to Jesus. And Jesus responds by saying how important children are. The kingdom of God belongs to children like these. Or maybe he means people like these children. As he goes on to say that unless we receive the kingdom of God like little children, we will never enter it. Missed opportunity there, Jesus, I think. That would have been a good moment to thank mothers for bringing their children to you, wouldn't it? For recognising that unless their mums had brought them, you wouldn't have had a chance to bless them. All that makes make such an effective point about how much children matter. And if children matter that much, surely the mums who bring them up and invest all that time and energy in them for nothing, as Ben Spencer rightly said, surely mums matter as well, don't they? 
A survey by Mumsnet this week has indicated that 91% of mums think that they carry the main responsibility for parenting in the household. That may come as no surprise to most of us here, um, but we recognise the value, the roles that mums play. According to Interflora, by the time you tot up all the roles that mums play as housekeeper, lawyer, past personal trainer and entertainer, mothers should be earning a salary of £172,000 a year, which isn't bad going, really. So of course mums matter. So it's a bit of a shame, actually, that Luke doesn't mention them, really, then, isn't it? And as so often happens in biblical passages, it's predominantly a male lineup. Alongside the grumpy disciples in that part of Luke 18, telling the people to go away and Jesus hasn't got time for them, we've got two stories told by Jesus. One about the widow and the judge, and one about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the three men of the stories have the power, that's the judge, they've got status, that's the Pharisee, they've got money, that's the tax collector. The widow, none of these. No power, no status, no money. No one actually to take care of her or look after her either. Presumably she didn't have any children around at that time, otherwise they would have been standing alongside her to support her. But she says, I've got no one to defend me against my opponent. She is quite alone. But she's not a victim. She takes on the judge who is the guy with all the power and authority and doesn't care a stuff about anybody else or about God, and she prevails. The one without power, the one without status, without money, she's the one who comes out on top because of her sheer determination and tenacity. She's alone, but she's anything but weak. She had been married, she was a widow. No children? Had she been unable to have children? Had she outlived her children? Had her children simply moved on with their own lives and left her behind to fend for herself? Was she even perhaps seeking justice from the judge because her own children were the ones who were opposing her and making life difficult for her? All unanswered, unanswerable questions. Yet this widow who has no children to defend her stands for all those women who might find today painful and difficult for whatever reason because of any one of those scenarios. And it's right that we have remembered them in our prayers. Thank you, Mary, for doing that. And let's recognise as well that this widow represents those whom God has chosen who cry out to him day and night because no one else is going to listen to them. And if you find yourself in that position this morning, don't give up crying out to God. The point of the parable is that he does hear. He does respond. He does stand alongside you. He is the one who defends you and who fights your corner for you and he knows the answer to all those unanswered questions. And through this parable, Jesus invites us to put our trust in God, promising that even though we can't see him, he will come through for us. He will come through for you. And of course, there are no women at all in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Well, there wouldn't be, would they? Because they were both standing in the temple to pray. And they would have been standing in that part of the temple that was reserved for men. 
Anyone could go in the outer, pre- outer precincts where the market was. That was a bit of a free-for-all. You could go in there and, and come and go as you will. The court beyond that, only Jewish people were allowed in. And the court beyond that, only Jewish men were allowed in. And the court beyond that, only Jewish male priests were allowed in. And beyond that, only the high priest, and then only once a year. The idea was that the the more holy you were, the closer you were allowed to get to God. So women come somewhere between men and Gentiles, not perceived as being very holy in that culture. But the Pharisees were. They were into holiness big time. They took great care to maintain their holy status in the sight of God. They were meticulous and scrupulous in their observance of the 613 commandments required of the observant Jew. And it was their aim actually to live their whole life in the same state of holiness and purity required of the priests where they, when they were on duty in the temple. All of life was to be holy in their eyes. That's why they put such a big emphasis on ritual washing and all that kind of stuff. Poles apart from the tax collector. Tax collectors were labelled sinners. They were universally disliked and despised because they collaborated with the Roman Empire by collecting taxes on its behalf. So they were seen actually as contaminating and compromising the holiness of God's people. Holiness meant being separate from the pagan world and there they were serving the pagan world. They were, in some people's eyes, to blame for the plight of the nation. And that's before you begin to think about what an unscrupulous and dishonest bunch they were. No wonder the Pharisee looks across to the tax collector and wonders what he's doing in the temple. He's got no place there, the person that he is, the lifestyle that he leads. What hope has he got of getting right with God? The Pharisee observes all the commandments, fast twice a week, gives tithes of all that he has. He reckons he's pretty good with God. The tax collector, where's he? And the tax collector knew he had no business being in the temple either, really. He couldn't even bring himself to lift up his eyes to heaven. Everybody else looked on him as a sinner. He felt he was a sinner as well. Just beat upon his breast, asking God to have mercy on him, even though he didn't deserve it. And the twist in the ending is that Jesus says it's the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, who walks out of that building in a good and right relationship with God. Because God always takes the proud down a peg or two and lifts up those who humble themselves. So maybe this parable brings a message of hope to those who feel that everyone else looks down on them, doesn't value them, doesn't rate what they do, who feel that people judge them, those who feel that they failed and can never be good enough, those with low self-esteem, those who don't feel able to lift their eyes to heaven with confidence. God wants to lift you to your feet. Look in your eyes, tell you how much he loves you, how much you mean to him, how much you matter, how much you are worth. Don't judge the value of your life by how other people treat you or by how you feel about yourself. 
Other people may look down on you, but God does not. In his eyes, no one is worthless. And even when we fail and get it wrong, he never writes us off. He's always ready to forgive and to invest his love and his grace in our lives and in our hearts. doesn't matter who we are. Whether we're tiny children who aren't really old enough to have done anything wrong yet, no major sins anyway. Whether we're adults who've lived a good life. Whether we're people who've done bad stuff through ignorance, weakness or our own deliberate fault. God loves each and every one of us with all his heart. Accepts us, forgives us, welcomes us into his kingdom without distinction. That's grace. That's how it works. Those who don't deserve it are made welcome. And that brings us to the question, what did Jesus mean when he said that anyone who would not receive the kingdom like a little child would never enter it? What is it about little children? Is it that they're cute? I doubt that's what Jesus meant, but they are, of course. Is it that they're innocent? We could have an interesting debate about original sin on that score. Is it that they are particularly trusting and lack the cynicism that tends to creep in as we get older? Is he making the point that little children in that culture lacked status? They were deemed as being particularly unimportant because they didn't contribute anything of value. When they were tiny, they were seen as just an extra mouth to feed. In that case, is he saying that we need to abandon all our claims to importance and significance and become like little children, like nobodies, people without status, people without a lifetime of achievement on which we can pride ourselves, people who have to abandon all claims to success and importance and just rely on the grace of God? Maybe so. Maybe part of the idea is in receiving the kingdom like a little child. Receiving is the important dimension there. Because mums, you know, little children have to have everything done for them, don't they? They are net recipients rather than, take, rather than givers. As a friend of mine at college used to say, a baby is just an alimentary canal which makes a lot of noise at one end and has no sense of responsibility at the other. Feeding, changing, washing, dressing, comforting, rocking to sleep. Everything, absolutely everything is done for them. And good parents will make sure that they express love through all the ways in which they do these things as well. In all their communication and their contact with that tiny child. And sure, you have to do everything as efficiently as possible, but the vital ingredient in it all is love. And the child just receives all that because the child is helplessly dependent upon you as the parent for every aspect of her physical well-being and emotional development. That's why the neglect or abuse of children is such a terrible and a criminal thing. Children need to receive all these things from their mothers and their fathers or those who provide such things in place of their parents. And what does that have to say about how we receive the kingdom of God like little children? It is in complete dependence upon God's grace. 
recognising that we contribute nothing. We just receive God's kingdom, God's love, God's grace, God's salvation as a gift from the God who gives these things to us because he loves us unconditionally and has always done so from way before the moment we were born. A good mother, a good parent will do all these things for her child because she loves them. And it's in God's heart to give the kingdom to us. Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. And it doesn't matter whether the way in which we live makes him proud or grieves his heart. We don't get the kingdom because we deserve it and God doesn't withhold it from us when we get it wrong. We receive the kingdom like a little child because the only way to encounter God is like a tiny child. Completely dependent upon the unconditional love he has for us and receiving that into our hearts. Allowing him to gather us in his arms and take care of us and sort us out and do whatever needs to be done to love and heal and nurture the inner child within each and every one of us. To enter God's kingdom, Jesus said, you must be born again as a child of God. You need to place your life in his hands and receive his kingdom in your heart. And in a few moments this morning, just be aware of being in his presence because we can never step outside of the presence of God. We might forget him, but he never forgets us. Just be aware of being in his hands because we can never slip out of the hands of God. Let him hold your heart in his hands with all those unanswered questions, with all the pains and the griefs and the uncertainties and the guilt and the fear. God holds us. And if we need to say, help me. If we need to say, save me. If we need to say, hold me. If we need to say, forgive me. If we need to say, love me. Then let's say that in our hearts now. Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. Nothing is hidden from you. And knowing everything about us, you still love us unconditionally. Hold us. Quieten our souls. Bring us to a place of stillness in your presence. And come into our disordered lives and bring your love, your healing, your forgiveness, 
your peace. Your grace. Your presence. Your kingdom and rule in our hearts and over who we are. Bring us to that place of being able to receive the kingdom like little children. we entrust ourselves into your hands. In Jesus' name. Amen.